All right, what an intro. What an intro. Let's go blue. So I had a little malfunction. I was supposed to have a shirt uh, to represent, but I do have the mug. Uh, so the, the, the mug is, is speaking loudly, but we had a little malfunction with the shirt. But the Michigan-Ohio State game is, uh, it's a very, very big game. Uh, it's a very intense rivalry has been uh, for a number of years. Uh, without a doubt, it's the largest college football game in the regular season. To give you some perspective on that, for the national championship game between Georgia and TCU, there were 17.2 million viewers for that game. For this game between Michigan and Ohio State, there were 17 million viewers for that game. It's a massive game. It is the rivalry in college football. The game was played in Columbus, Ohio, uh, a place that's been a house of horrors for Michigan. We haven't won there since 2000. It wasn't until last November in 22 that, I mean, 22 years for us to go into the horseshoe in Columbus, Ohio, 102,000 fans and win that game. It was a massive win. Those two touchdowns that you just saw by Donovan Edwards, the second one in particular, it put the game away. Like, it's, it's over. Done deal. I, as a matter of fact, I called Troy. Uh, who's in Ohio, I said, hey man, look, I gotta apologize. It's gonna be a long day for you tomorrow. <laughs> it's gonna be a very long day, uh, courtesy of my Wolverines. Now, the cameras and Gus Johnson, when you look at those two runs, the, the focus was clearly on Donovan Edwards. I mean, he's an uh, exceptional athlete, uh, two big, massive runs and a big game. Uh, he was one of the most coveted running backs coming out of, 2000, out of high school in 2021. Highly recruited, everybody wanted him, including Ohio State. Um, so Michigan had to recruit him hard and they had to recruit him well. And here's what that meant. That meant that they had to uh, go to his high school football games. That meant that coaches who are making millions of dollars had to humble themselves and go into his home and basically beg him to come to Michigan, right? I mean, a lot of time went into that. They had to spend time with his coaches, talking to the coaches, asking questions. Tell me about Donovan Edwards. What kind of, what kind of player is he? Is he coachable? Does he listen? What's his background like? Does he get any trouble off the field? All of that, right? Um, they had to have him on campus for official visits. So when he came on campus for an official visit, that meant that they had to have a whole program laid out for him. We're gonna give you a pass so you can be on the field during the game and you can experience the big house, the largest stadium in, in all of football, over 111,000 fans or whatever it is. And, and then we've got people that we want you to meet with, uh, tutors and academic advisors, and we wanna to talk to you about what you wanna major in and what life is gonna look like for you after football. And then we, wanna, we want you to meet with the strength and conditioning coach who's going to transform your body so that you can play football at this level because the jump from high school to this is massive. So we got a whole plan for you, a nutrition plan, a weight training plan, all of that. And then you gotta sit down and meet with the offensive staff. And they're gonna talk to you about their offensive philosophy and, and how they envision you fitting into that and, and how you can complement what we're trying to do and how we can help you achieve your goal of going to the next level and playing 
in the NFL. How many text messages and phone calls between the running back coach and Donovan Edwards and him giving him pointers? Hey, I watched your game Friday night. Uh, one of the things I want to share with you is I want to talk to you about vision and, and, and how, to, how to anticipate holes opening up before they open and all of that. Earlier in the season, uh, he had a partially torn patella. And if you go back and you watch those, those highlights, he was also playing with a cast on his, on his right hand. So there had to be a medical team to work with him, to get him ready to play, to get him back into a position where he could get on the field and contribute like he did. As a matter of fact, he wasn't supposed to even start in this game. Uh, the guy before him got hurt, so he had to play a lot more than he probably anticipated, right? The head coach and the coaching staff before this game, I promise you, Leading up to this game, these guys would have told their wives, don't plan on seeing me this week. These guys would have put in 16, 17 hours a day watching film, watching Ohio State. And those two runs were absolutely reflective of that. They saw something on tape that said, we see an advantage here that we can work to our advantage. The equipment team had to pack all of the equipment for that whole team, probably 50 players, and get that team ready to travel three hours away in Columbus, Ohio. Then there had to be a bus driver, all right? Bus drivers to make that three and a half drive from Ann Arbor, Michigan to Columbus, Ohio. Not to mention those big offensive linemen who without those guys, that hole is not there. Those holes are not there, right? Now, having said all of that, those two touchdown runs look a lot different, don't they? Those two touchdown runs were a lot bigger than one guy. It was a lot bigger, although the cameras were, were focused on Donovan Edwards, but without all those other things and so many other things, it's not possible. Uh, it's been said many times, and I agree with it, success is never singular, it's always plural. It always takes more than one person. That was a team win. And every member on that team had a job to do. They did. So the fifth and critical ministry principle for us here at MBT is that our members engage in ministry service. I mean, Carl and Martha, they set the table for me. There's, I could actually stand up and say amen to what they shared because they basically share what I'm going to share with you tonight. That was phenomenal, was it not? Praise the Lord. Lord, help us tonight as we look at this. Help us to see this. Help us to see that as members in the body of Christ that uh, we're part of a team. And as being a part of the team, everybody has a job to do. Everybody has a role. And it takes all of us in order for this to work. It's not just Sam. It's not just the pastors. It's not just a few elite. There are no elite in Christ. Lord, you are the only one who is elite. Help us to see this the way that you would have us to, God, and to embrace it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you were here, you, you, you really got to, and you, there are many visuals of this at MBT, but a few weeks ago, and I think I saw them, Brian and Lydia are back from their honeymoon, so praise the Lord. So good to see them. But if you were at that wedding, uh, Miles officiated the wedding, 
And if you were a visitor, you know, or a non-member of MBT and you were at that wedding, if you didn't know any better, if someone would have said to you, yeah, that guy, Miles, who, who did the wedding, he's one of the pastors here at MBT, they would have easily believed it. I sat there and I thought, wow, praise the Lord. He did a fantastic job. Is, is Miles here? Yeah. He did a fantastic job. And as I sat there, I thought, yeah, I can, I can see Brandon, I can see Sam, I can, I can hear pastoral procedures in that. Like, it's the same thing. Like, Eric Phillips, I, 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 he discipled Miles. It's, uh, there have been a number of folks who have, uh, the Thomases did their premarital counseling, I believe, is that right? Or, you've had an investment. There have been a number of folks who have poured into Miles Cheadle to get Miles to the place where Miles could serve. I mean, I was just so thankful. Wow, what an amazing job. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. So for starters, whenever you're reading or studying your Bible and you come across something where the Bible tells you very clearly that there's something that is pleasing to God, you want to pay very careful attention to that. Because that's what you want to be about. You want to know that what is it that pleases God? Because whatever that is, God, I want to do that. I want that to be my mindset. I want that to be my heart attitude. Whatever is pleasing in your sight, God, let that be me. Right? Let that be my focal point. So according to this verse, one of the things that is pleasing to God is a diversity of spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. That means something to God. That's important to God. That matters to God. And it needs to matter to us. And the reason that that is so pleasing to him is because that is what is required in order for any local church to make full proof of what it is that God has called them to do. It requires a diversity of spiritual gifts. It does. It requires how God has wired all of us to be able to use that to the fullest for his glory. Now, again, it took more than Donovan Edwards to slay the beast that is called Ohio State in Columbus, Ohio. It took more than him. The folks who work in the admissions office at Michigan, they had a job to do. They had to make sure that he was eligible. They had to look at his ACT scores, his SAT scores. They had to make sure that he met the requirements so that he could be eligible to play, all of that. And without them, he doesn't even get admitted. So if a diversity of spiritual gifts is pleasing to God, guess what this tells us? And I think this is very important. We must preoccupy ourselves with how God has gifted us, not with how he has gifted someone else. How has God gifted you? Then focus on that. Not how God has given someone else. Man, be at peace. Be thankful that God is merciful and gracious enough that he would impart something like that to us so that he can use us for his glory. That's a wonderful thing. Would you consider this from William Barclay? 
Scottish theologian, he said, whenever we begin to think about our own importance in the Christian church, the possibility of real Christian work is gone. I couldn't agree with that more. It's, it's, it's not about me at all. It's, it's, God, it's about your glory. You, whatever you've given me, you gave it to me for your glory and the edification of people. Whatever that looks like. What hurts any team is when people get distracted with how someone else is gifted and how God is using them. That means that you're not focused on how he's gifted you and how he desires to use you. You're distracted. Don't ever play that game, you'll lose every time. Please hear this, there are no insignificant spiritual gifts or ministries in the local church. There's nothing insignificant about what God has given you. And there's nothing insignificant about what it is that he is allowing you to do. It matters. It all matters. Regardless of how we are gifted, MBT wins. We win as a church when every member is fitly joined to the body and serving the Lord in their God-ordained capacity. That is when we are at our absolute best for the glory of God. We win. We win. So, we have a few critical mottos around here, and you've heard some of them, and so uh, I think it was Carl or Martha who uttered one of them when they were talking tonight, but here's a critical one. Every member a minister. Every member. Not most of the members. Every member. Not some of the members, but every member a minister. That's familiar to you if you've been here for a while, but if you're new, it speaks to our agreement with God regarding that it is, it is pleasing to him to set the members, every one of them, in the body. That it has pleased God to do this, and he has done it because he wants to use all of us for his glory. But to everyone, if I can say this very clearly, the motto is, every member a minister, not every member a critic. Every member a minister, not every member a critic. One of the reasons that so many churches are doing nothing more than holding services week to week and essentially babysitting believers until the rapture is because every member is a critic. Everybody's got an opinion, and everybody wants to be heard, and all of that kind of childishness and nonsense. Uh, people attend services in a typical church expecting the pastor and the staff to do everything, while they stand to the side with rocks, chucking them at them, just criticizing and critiquing, and they come with their scorecards. Well, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I don't appreciate this, and I don't like that. You, that's just Corinth. Listen, in critical church cultures, nothing of eternal value gets accomplished. Nothing. You show me a church where people come and they just murmur and they complain and they have expectations beyond serving. 
They're not doing anything for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, they're grieving God to the core. They walk in with white gloves and they measure everything. Do I like this? Do I like that? Like, <laughs> you get nothing done that way, right? Every member a minister, not a critic. And what happens when we do that, we get our eyes off of how God has gifted us and what he's called us to do. That's it. Listen, you are going to be at your best, and so am I. We're all going to be at our best when we are locked in on what it is that God has given us the privilege to do in the work of the ministry. Listen, I think Martha may have said it. Ministry is only a privilege all the time. It's a privilege. I don't care what it is that we're doing. It's a privilege. It's an honor that we get to do this. It's not that we have to necessarily, as much as it is, we get to do this. It is, a, it is, it is beyond... Uh, uh, I, I can't fathom that God actually can use this guy. This guy grew up in a broken home, uh, in, a, in, a, in a dark place. I grew up in South DeKalb. I mean, it's just brokenness everywhere and darkness everywhere. I wasn't the brightest kid in school. I, I was a very poor student. I, I, I just... I mean, my flaws and my limitations and my weaknesses, I mean, the list is a mile long and growing. But God said, I can use you. That's crazy. I, don't, I will never get that. It's only a privilege. And listen, the day that it's anything other than that, you and God have departed on some level. The day that whatever it is you're doing, if, if you're in connections and listen, you get to put that green shirt on and you get to serve the Lord. You get to smile, you get to listen. You heard tonight just what a, what a smile and what a personal acknowledgement can do in someone's life. That's amazing. And you get to work in the AV booth. You get to drive the bus to help people get here who otherwise wouldn't have a, a way to get here. What an honor. You get to work in, in safety. Or you get to change diapers and invest in the future of MBT and Kidtown. It's an honor. It is. But I do want to address a question that I know some ask. Have asked. And will continue to ask. And it goes like this. What if the leadership in my local church does not seem to recognize how I'm gifted and by default hinders me from using my spiritual gift? This question comes up. Uh, this is something that people struggle with. From a, a leadership perspective, I can tell you that most of the time, at least in my experience, it's not an issue of your leadership being ignorant of how you're spiritually gifted. That's usually not the issue. 
The issue often is that there are some concerns regarding your character, maturity, and heart attitude that prevents that pastor or that leader from having peace to appoint you to a certain ministry platform. They know that you're gifted. They know that you're willing. They know that you can do it. But there's something in your character, there's something in your heart attitude, there's something about your maturity that gives them pause. That says, until that changes, I don't have peace. Next, listen, this question, this kind of thinking, is usually preoccupied by people, listen very carefully, who have an appetite for public platforms of ministry service. These are the folks who usually preoccupy themselves with this kind of question. Because uh, they could serve in Connections any day. They could serve in Kidtown. They, they could serve in a number. They could serve in AV. There are a number of ways they can serve, but what they really want is, I, I, I want the mic. I, I want to be on the stage. I want a platform that, that I think will showcase the goods that I have. I've got the goods. And MBT needs to know that. And it's a shame that MBT is being deprived of what I bring to the table. So one of these days, my pastors and my leaders are gonna wise up and recognize I belong. Wrong church. <laughs> Wrong church. There are a number of churches in the city that will absolutely uh, buy that newspaper you're selling. It's just not this one. That attitude will absolutely keep you from certain ministry platforms here because at MBT, Please hear this. Ministry platforms are not given to those who believe they deserve a platform. If you think you deserve a platform, if you think you've earned it, if you think that you're doing us a great favor, if we were to somehow put you there, get comfortable where you are because that platform is not coming anytime soon because we do not give platforms out here to people that think they deserve it or they've earned it. The very first ministry service opportunity that I was given at the Kansas City Baptist Temple in 1994 was cleaning the church. And I was stoked. On a Saturday morning, I got to clean the Kansas City Baptist Temple with a group of people. Um, I don't want to hear anything after what I'm about to say here. I was over the moon. <laughs> Dale and I laughed because 
where I grew up and how we grew up, we didn't say over the moon. <laughs> but I was over the moon. I could not believe that I got to clean the great Kansas City Baptist Temple. And as I cleaned and vacuumed those pews, I was thinking about the people that were going to be sitting in those pews in a few hours. That those, those pews are clean and the floors are vacuumed and the garbage is emptied and it's going to be a great service tomorrow. I was so honored that I got to do that. When the men who were over me in the Lord believed that it was time to put a microphone in my hand, then it was time. The Lord made that clear to them and he made it clear to me. But up until then, I was good. I was good. And it's still that way today. Listen, my counsel to everyone is jump in where the Lord gives you an opportunity for his glory to jump in. Do not take a menu or buffet approach. Okay, what do they offer me? Uh, no, uh, no, uh, no, thanks, but no thanks. Where has God said, hey, here you go? Again, it's all a privilege, right? It's all a privilege. To have a ministry that rocks the nations for, for Christ from this place, we have to have faithful brothers and sisters who will love and invest in Kittown. At the discipleship conference in Cartersville, it was amazing. We, talked to a number of people. You know what so many people told us? They were so thankful. Like, I mean, they could tell us things that are being taught in this place. Uh, Sunday morning, the Sunday fellowships. I had one guy tell me, he goes, man, there was a message that Brandon preached. He's an over the, over the, uh, he's a long distance truck driver. He said, man, I have listened to that message 10 times because it hit me at a place in my life that I, I mean, like, I've got it memorized. Man, our brothers and sisters in Vietnam, in Kenya, you know how thankful they are for our AV ministry? That they can log on and they can, they can get fed and they can stay connected to us? Man, that's not just some booth back there for nerds. Riley, you're not a nerd, bro. But thank you. Aren't you glad that you can hear all this tonight so clearly? That's what it takes. Martha talked about it tonight with Jacqueline. You're in Connections. You have an opportunity every week to be a difference maker. A difference maker. You never know what people might be carrying with them when they walk through those doors. You know their names and you greet them by their name. Hey, it's good to see you this morning. How's it going? How can I pray for you? I love you. Man, that might be a game changer for them. 
when a visitor comes and they have to park a block away in this neighborhood, you know one of the things that's really comforting for them is to see those guys outside with those bright yellow vests. It's like, wow, okay, the, the parking lot's full and, you know, this isn't the suburbs and unfamiliar with the neighborhood. I had a guy from work visit one time. You know one of the questions he asked me when he, when he walked through the door? He asked me if his car, if I felt that his car was going to be there when church was over. He was serious. He was dead serious. You know what? Only the Lord knows. Only the Lord knows how many people that have been invited to MBT on a Sunday morning that got here and left. Only God knows that. Because the parking lot was full and they did not feel comfortable parking a block or two away to walk up here. But oh my goodness, what a difference you can make if you're on a safety team. And they see you. And they get out of the car, and again, you're here, you, 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 you kind of get to know who's who, and hey, I haven't met you before, what's your name, is this your first time? Who invited you? Listen, let me walk you up just so we can get you in and get you situated. Whew. Wow, thank you. It just might be, that person will walk in here, hear the gospel, and get saved. As a church, we all must be willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Whatever it takes. Sam has modeled this for us. Look on the screen. I did get his permission before he played that. No, no, sorry. Sorry, sorry about that. So we were, we were in Malawi and uh, the, the family that takes care of the cottage that we were staying in, um, very, very poor family and Sam was just trying to make a connection with them. So you probably can't see it, but it, right behind there's a little house there and there's a, one of the, the daughters of the man who um, takes care of the cottage. She was out doing laundry uh, in, a, in a bucket. And uh, Sam was just trying to just make a connection and I, th I think he did. She was smiling, she really appreciated his uh, moves. So <laughs> it is 8.32, I am out of time. I wanna leave you with uh, the second motto, which is ministry runs on the rails of relationships. And I uh, just wanna uh, give you this verse from Nehemiah 4, 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work.
So this picture here goes back to many, many years ago. So uh, we were doing a skit at KCBT, Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> and uh, I, I was, was it, is it Darius Rucker, is that? Okay. So I was him and then Troy was on drums, Sam and Mitch are doing their thing, uh, some fun times. But our relationships were centered on and built around serving the Lord together in ministry and provoking one another to love and to good works. And what a special time all of that was. I, I do have to cut it short, but let me just tell you that God has been tremendously faithful to Midtown Baptist Temple, has he not? And as we continue to grow by God's grace, one of the things that we have to guard against is becoming white collar in culture. In no way am I despising anyone who works in corporate America. That's not the heart here at all. What I'm talking about is, is we get to the point or we get to the place where we don't have a mind to work where we don't have a pioneering work ethic, where we don't have a hard hat, blue collar, roll up your sleeves, whatever we have to do to get the job done, let's do it. There is no job that is beneath anybody. We all have a mind to work. And we're here for the glory of God to get to work. We're not here to murmur. We're not here to, to, to divide and fight over silly, trivial things that a millisecond into eternity will not matter. One of the things that we all have to do if we have a mind to work, you know what you learn to do? You learn to let things go. One of the things the guys hear from me quite a bit is guys look, the work is too great, and the work is too hard, and the opposition is too great for us to have any time for any drama. Keep the drama at home. Don't have time for it, don't have room for it, don't have energy for it, don't have interest for it. We'll get nothing done. For the glory of God, let's get to work. Father in heaven, help us to be a people who have a mind to work. God, that it would fall out to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.